John Rash and Denise Johnson are here from the Star Tribune editorial board playing politics, part of WCC Radio for a long, long time. John and Denise are on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker hotline. Let's start with the uh, January 6th Select Committee and what took place yesterday uh, during this show. Powerful testimony. Many Republicans about the election and the efforts directed by the president himself, his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to overturn the results. John, I'll start with you. They all were compelling, including Rusty Bowers, the Arizona speaker, who talked about a phone call with President Trump and Bowers, as anybody should, by the way, Bowers, who voted for Donald Trump, saying, I need to see some evidence. I mean, you're asking me to do these things, and I need to see evidence. And he remembers Rudy Giuliani at one point saying, we've got a lot of theories. We just don't have the evidence. That pretty pretty much sums up Rudy Giuliani, by the way. We've got a lot of theories. We just don't have the evidence. I will also add this, uh, John, that Bowers, with his moving testimony, He also said in the interview earlier this week, if it is a repeat of Joe Biden against Donald Trump, even knowing what Donald Trump was trying to do to overturn this election without proof, he says again, John, without hesitation, that he would vote for Donald Trump. That's one of the extraordinary aspects of this from two perspectives. One is that the most damning evidence, most compelling conversations that the committee members have had with witnesses have been from Republicans. So while President Trump and many of his congressional supporters try to position this as a partisan witch hunt, it's Republicans who are reporting on what happened, how egregious the violations were, or the ones that were being asked to do as as happened yesterday. And yet so many of them did vote for and will vote for President Trump again should he run against President Biden. And it really shows how deeply divided this nation is, how entrenched the partisanship is, and how, unless we get two different presidential candidates, so much of the next election may be about the last election. And that's usually not how a nation moves forward. Denise, it also stood out, whether it was Bowers, so many others, but the harassment they have received or family members have received because, in their opinion, and backed up by cases going to the court and the Trump administration consistently losing, that they were doing their job, that they just were doing their job, and they're individuals who may have been known within their states or their counties but became national stories because President Trump in particular and others brought them in the conversation and said they were a part of the steal. And just hearing their words about what their lives have been like since then was uh, just heartbreaking, to be honest, when it would be equally bad if any administration did this. It doesn't matter. But it is this one, the 45th, 45th president's administration, which was perpetuating this and targeting people when there wasn't any proof. 
Well, that's exactly uh, how I felt listening to um, some of these election workers who are just uh, heartbreaking to hear the kinds of things that they have gone through and continue to go through because of what uh, the former president was trying so desperately to prove, that they are you know, continuing to have uh, be uh, uh, victims to um, harassment and have changed their lives dramatically because of – you know, as you said earlier, they were they were simply doing their jobs, and uh, it, it it almost seems surreal that we have Republicans who are uh, saying that, that that this is the case that it was uh, that there was no um, evidence to prove what the former president was trying to prove, and yet they will still um, vote for him. Uh, the, the the truth <laughs> doesn't matter as if. Uh, lying is okay, as if threatening our democracy is okay. So let's switch to uh, Joe Biden, who is beleaguered right now, who is facing criticism in many areas. His approval ratings continue to sag, and a huge part of this is tied to inflation and the costs all of us are facing, which are significantly higher, including gas prices. This has been rumored for a week now, has become official in the last 45 minutes when Joe Biden called on Congress to temporarily suspend the federal gas tax. He asked Congress to lift federal tax about 18 cents per gallon on gasoline, 24 cents per gallon on diesel through the end of September. Denise, I've watched a lot of analysis from journalists, from Democrats and Republicans who are incredibly skeptical this idea we're saying it's just a gimmick right now that may sound appealing but the reality is where it hurts this economy is going to be larger than this bit of a sugar rush where do you stand on what the president is offering up today well i think that there will be a lot of uh, americans who will welcome that break it, it's a big uh part of what's driving i mean we have certainly have this all over our our economy but i think that um there will be americans particularly in the season where people are wanting to uh, uh do more driving because of vacationing and uh, so forth will um will welcome this kind of break from at least one part of the inflation in our country john some reflect what denise is saying but there are others within Joe Biden's own party who now or in the past have pushed back heavily against this. All these decisions, whether you're a governor, a senator, or a president, have a political note to it. To me, again, it feels like that the president is chasing the story as opposed to, to he's ahead of it in trying to change the direction the country which in many areas is not in a positive way. And when you're the president, whether you like it or not, you have to take some of that criticism. Well, I concur with Denise that many Americans, including this reporter, will benefit from it. I drive, you drive, Denise does, all of our listeners likely do. But that being said, I think the key word in this proposal is temporary. And we should be looking for more permanent solutions all around as a government, as a society, there is a clear supply and demand equation dynamic 
we should get more to the root of that, which is what is driving literally and, and figuratively, I guess, in this case, you know, these gas price increases and figure out how we can maximize domestic supply while working extraordinarily hard to transition toward more fuel-efficient vehicles, more electric vehicles as just one example, more hybrids, and being able to reduce the demand for consumption of gasoline. If anything, when you have a tax break, it is, in effect, an injection of, of spending into the U.S. economy, and that might actually exacerbate the inflationary pressures. And I think that we have to think as a government and as a society what the impacts are when we have such massive stimulus bills as we've had. And we've had them under different administrations, under different dynamics, such as the Great Recession when President George W. Bush was there, and certainly under President Trump and especially under President Biden regarding the pandemic. And that's part of the inflation equation as well, warned about like a voice in the wilderness by Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, a Democrat, and generally ignored by the Democratic administration running now. So I think that America really suffers from short-termism in so many ways, and we have to start thinking longer term about how we move forward as a country and don't just lurch from crisis to crisis. Last thing, uh, right now, Scott Jensen, who in the MinPost poll is very close. That same poll, though, has about 40 percent not familiar with the former state center. Is pushing hard, John, right now for Governor Walls to debate him. It's early. It's June 22nd. Debates normally don't happen this early. Do you see any scenario where Tim Walls is going to debate Scott Jensen ahead of the normal time? No, I do not. This is a classic contender versus incumbent um, strategy where they try to engage him in a series of debates because it elevates the challenger, puts him or her on the same stage, literally and figuratively, as the incumbent. And if I were the representative, former representative of Jensen, I'd be asking for the same thing. And if I were managing Governor Walz's campaign, I would say, this is standard, ignore it, and we will engage in three debates as normally happen, or perhaps it'll be a, a few more as the November um, election nears. Now, that being said, you know, they are debating on Twitter and, and uh, in other ways via social media, which is not really an effective way to govern, especially as you know, we're talking about lurching from crisis to crisis. You know, the governor's trying to get a special session going. And so, you know, this, again, is a classic example of a short-termism as opposed to thinking long-term on a state that used to do so. Same thing for you, Denise. Do you see any any changes? Obviously, they are, as John nailed it, they're out very visibly but not on a stage together. Does that happen before September? I don't think so. I, I don't think that the uh, that the governor has any reason uh, to do it earlier than the normal time. Um, a lot of Minnesotans are not necessarily in you know, a sort of Labor Day and after when they get really engaged. Uh, and uh, I don't see any why that would be at all advantageous to him or why he should, um, even though Jensen is calling for it, that, that, that he should do a formal debate before the regular time. Thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Thank you. John Rash and Denise Johnson playing politics with the Star Tribune.